Take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. Today we're going to be talking about the law of sacrifice. Let me just jump right in and say, I can almost hear you thinking, the law of sacrifice doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, does it? (laughs) Not exactly a barrel of monkeys. But let me tell you, I've learned so much from this law, and actually, it can radically upgrade the fun factor in your life, the amazement factor. So I'm really enthusiastic about sharing this law with you today in the grace space. We're in a series right now called Walk in Grace, where we're exploring and discovering the laws of the universe that make us feel like we really are walking in a state of grace when we get into harmony with them. One thing that's so magical about the law is that when you're flowing with it, you just feel so good. Life is so much smoother and there's a natural sense of joy and adventure that wells up from the center of your being. It's like you're starting to play with the universe and you find that the universe has a wonderful sense of humor. The universe loves play. It loves fun. That's what my mentor Mary Morrissey says and she's absolutely right. Now, that's not to say that life is without challenges, because life will never be without challenges and ups and downs. That's the law of rhythm, actually. When we're up, we know that there's a down on the way. But when we're down, we know that there's an up on the way. And that's a normal expression of the cycles of life and of nature. Everything in life is cyclical. But as we grow in our understanding of these laws, our lows are not as low, and our highs are not as high. You might say, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Who'd want to live a life without highs and lows? But the truth is that a life of balance, while it still has highs and lows, carries a much deeper and more rewarding feeling than mere excitement. You see, as long as you're excited when something great happens, you're likely to get depressed when something bad happens. Your state of being is then dependent on conditions, and that is a very precarious way to live. Gaining understanding of the law, the acquisition of true wisdom that produces faith, gives us a feeling that can never be taken away, no matter what the conditions. It's a kind of serenity and quiet joy that is far more powerful than excitement and completely sustainable. A lot of people are searching for excitement because they mistake that for the feeling of being alive. The drama of the highs and lows is actually a poor substitute for life, real life, the wellspring of living water that emerges from the center of you when you know who you are. Drama is just that, play acting. It isn't who you really are. You've mistaken yourself. Play acting through life is what we do when we don't know who and whose we are. 
And if you confuse drama with life, you won't discover who you really are. I think there might be few people who understand that better than I, because (laughs) I lived it. (laughs) I was a professional actress for 25 years, and I fell into all the traps. I would often pride myself on my personal stability, keep the drama on stage, I would say. But ironically, the drama was my life, my stormy little life inside my head, and all the small, petty, and miserable self-pity that I indulged in day to day. The actress was the archetype of my life, the part that I was playing on earth. And none of this was lost on me. I saw the life of the actor as a metaphor for spiritual growth, the meta-spiritual meta-theatrical experience. And yet through it, I was looking for an identity that would fill the emptiness and precarity that was always just beneath the surface, the identity of successful actress, in quotes, that would prove my worth to me and everyone else and put to rest the serious doubts and terrifying insecurity that plagued me. I spent many years in futile pursuit of some elusive and illusory happiness, always thinking that if I could just get a better job, if I could just break through to a higher level in the business, I would finally get the recognition I quote unquote deserved. But I always seemed to end up in a dead end. I was ruled by frustration, disappointment, envy, and self-absorption. I had an attitude problem, and I had had it for years and years. I remember the moment when my spiritual teacher offered me the opportunity to face this painful truth. He said, you have to look back on your life and realize that in many ways it has been barren. Let yourself feel the regret and then move on. I later told one or two people about that moment, and they instantly became indignant on my behalf, as if somebody was saying mean things to me. (laughs) I realized they didn't understand that helping me face that truth was a necessary thing and actually the most loving gift my teacher could have given me at that time. He provided me with a 90-day practice to help me dissolve all the stuck energy of tremendous sadness, grief, and regret that I had to process. And it was one of the hardest yoga practices I've ever done. For the first two weeks, it felt like 31 minutes of sheer hell. (laughs) My arms were up above my head and my hands in a particular mudra. And this was accompanied by very challenging pranayama or breath pattern that involved a rapid gasping inhale and a mantra. When I first began the practice, I doubted I could get through three minutes, let alone 31 minutes, but I summoned up my will and did it. And then I would collapse in a heap and sob for about 10 minutes. At the time, I was staying in a sweet little apartment in Carcassonne, France, and I wondered what the neighbors must be thinking about the crazy Airbnb who was haunting their building with her weeping every morning like some French version of Jane Eyre. Every morning, I dreaded doing that Kriya, but I knew it was that or fall prey to the abyss, a bottomless chasm that sent up occasional whispers that I could just give up. It was the nihilistic snake I had heard once or twice in my life, the darkest part of my ego. Many years before, when I was living in Los Angeles during a very low, low, working three jobs and going through a divorce, it would whisper to me on the freeway that a quick turn of the wheel would send me flying off into a canyon, and this part would be over. It was a luciferic voice, 
that would rather be right than be happy, that preferred further drama and even death over an honest, clear-eyed assessment of my life. I recognized that voice, and I knew it did not have my best interests at heart. And I knew that if I listened to that voice this time, I would go down a road of default where there was illness waiting for me down the line, maybe worse. What saved me from that voice was discipline. So what does all this have to do with the law of sacrifice? Well, I'll tell you. The essence of the law of sacrifice is that in order to achieve a definite major objective beyond anything we've ever achieved before, we will always have to give up something of a lower nature, a lower order for something of a higher order or nature. And this is exactly what I learned from my cozy brush with the dark side. Think about it. When there's something you want ardently, something greater than what you have now, you will have to sacrifice whatever is standing in the way of what you want. In chess, you're going to sacrifice some pieces on your way to checkmate. If you want a higher level of fitness, you're going to have to sacrifice Netflix and a bag of Doritos at night. And the vehicle for the law of sacrifice is discipline. We often associate the word sacrifice with deprivation. This is why so many diets fail, right? You go on a diet, you cut out foods that you normally use for comfort because they're your go-to for emotional eating, and you feel deprived, not of your food so much, but of the comfort that goes with them. And if you don't have a really strong motivation for your diet, you're going to cave. Lots of people would rather have a few extra pounds than give up their favorite comfort foods. This speaks to how much we crave emotional security and comfort, even when we're going about trying to get it from the things that cannot ultimately provide it. As long as we're thinking of sacrifice as deprivation, we're far likelier to sabotage our own efforts. So what if we shift our perception of what sacrifice is? You see, you never have to give up the greater for the lesser. You'll always have to give up the lesser for the greater. So you have to trust that there is something greater coming, even if you're not sure what it is yet. And actually, the lesser, hanging on to the lesser, is what's keeping you from the greater. We're often afraid to sacrifice the lesser because we don't really believe that the greater is on its way. And we think, well, I don't want to let go of this because what if something better doesn't come along, right? Now, to go back to our dieting example, if the doctor says you're diabetic and you're headed for worse if you don't shape up your diet, you might be more motivated to benefit from the law of sacrifice. You might decide, okay, I'm willing to give up the lesser for the greater. My health is more important to me than Doritos. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to buy a juicer and give my body lots of great nutrition. And you know what? I'm going to dump all my toxic relationships to boot. Suddenly, you're not dieting anymore. You're turning over a whole new leaf. You're motivated because you want your life back. And you start to develop a vision of the life you're going to build for yourself now. And it's that vision that pulls you along and gives you the discipline to spend time in the produce aisles, the grocery store, and walk on by the snack food aisles. Discipline is a big part of the law of sacrifice. Discipline is the ability to give yourself a command and follow through with it. Discipline develops trust in yourself. You know that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. 
You want to be able to trust yourself more than any other person. You can't control other people. And sometimes you can't count on them. Think about it. If a friend or a family member says they're going to do something and they don't do it, after a few repetitions of this pattern, you're not going to trust them to do what they say they're going to do. Even if you love them to bits, you just know you can't count on them. But you want to be able to count on yourself. And discipline develops that relationship of trust that you've got your own back that you're going to show up for yourself and your soul. And you know what's amazing is that when you start to give yourself that discipline, when you start to be able to trust yourself to show up for yourself, you're never going to expect other people to do it for you. And you won't be disappointed when they don't. Because the truth is when we are disappointed in other people because we feel like they let us down, we have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, well, how is this person being a mirror for me and showing me how I let myself down? That's always the case. When you start to show up for yourself and when you can really trust yourself, when you love yourself so much that nothing's going to keep you from following through and honoring the infinite that you truly are, you won't worry about it when other people fail to do that for you. You won't require that anymore. You'll do it for yourself. It's said that the beginning of wisdom is the desire for discipline. You can develop a desire for discipline, and you will, when you have something you truly care about in life. It always comes back to this. What do you truly care about? What do you want? I'm talking about a vision for your life, a worthy ideal that represents the most beautiful life you can imagine for yourself, where you feel tremendously fulfilled in every area, where you're living your ideal life in the area of your health, your relationships, your vocation, creative expression, your time and money freedom. Do you think a plane takes off from the airport without knowing where it's going? Of course not. And yet most people spend more time planning a vacation than they do consciously designing their day and the life they intend to bring forth. You can have anything you want, anything you're willing to get into harmony with, anything you're willing to become a vibrational match for, you can have. If you don't really believe that, you don't create a vision for your life. And you become the plaything of circumstances. So the law of sacrifice says that you must sacrifice a lower vibration for a higher vibration. And if you ask me, that's no sacrifice. There may be a part of us that's attracted to that which is of a lower vibration. And when this is the case, there's always underneath a belief that we don't deserve better. Just now, an image flashed into my mind of Jack Black's character in the movie Tropic Thunder, where he plays a self-absorbed movie star with a heroin addiction. At one moment, when faced with a massive pile of the white powdered stuff, he battles with himself for a split second before maniacally screaming, this is all I deserve, and burying his face in the powder. It's a very funny moment, but poignant, too, because even if we're not dealing with a substance addiction, we do have all kinds of addictions to things that keep us in a lower vibration. And underneath that is the thought, this is all I deserve. 
Michael Beckwith says that we're often pushed by pain until we're pulled by a vision. Once we get to a point where we're consciously designing our life and exploring how to work with the laws to become a vibrational match for what we want, we're already on a higher plane of vibration. It takes a lot to get to that point where you actually come into contact with the idea that you can do that in the first place, that you allow them space in your conscious mind and that you actually decide for a vision for your life. That decision comes from the higher self, and it's already a really big move that puts us into a higher frequency of awareness. But by its very nature, the thing we've decided for will bring up the paradigms of limitation that have formed our reality up until now. As soon as we decide for something greater in life than we've ever dared to believe in before, everything that is unlike that decision will present itself to you. This, and this is what freaks a lot of people out and causes them to run screaming in the other direction and stop before they even start. This is what causes discouragement and fear in many people. But actually, and this is what I'm always telling my clients, it's a good sign when the paradigm shows up and you get scared. It's a good sign. When you decide for what you want, when you are conscious about the life you are creating and you're doing it deliberately in co-creation with the infinite side of your nature, you will be met with what is of a lower vibration in you. This is natural and it's to be expected. I always tell my clients that this is a good sign. It means that you're reaching higher than you've ever reached and must become a greater, higher version of yourself than you have been up until now. It means that you're beginning to contact your greatness, that in you which is unlimited. Therefore, anything that presents itself to you in this process is coming up for healing and reintegration. You will be confronted by any habits, ways of being, thoughts, beliefs, relationships that are not in harmony with what you have decided for. And this is good. This is really good. Because when you can't see your paradigms, well, you, you can't work with them. They are running your life and you have no idea. Having a dream for your life brings up your limitations and all the voices in your head that tell you it's not possible, it's a pipe dream, you don't have what it takes, who are you to think, blah, blah, blah. All of these are the voices that have always stood between you and your greatness. You see, it's not even the elements of the dream that you materialize that are so wonderful as who you become in the process, a much bigger person. It's fairly easy for us to acknowledge that sacrifices must be made on the physical plane in order to get what we want. But I'd like to invite you to look a little deeper into this law and examine your own thinking. As above, so below. The law is true at every level of existence, so it's also true on the plane of thought. We must be willing to sacrifice thoughts of a lower nature for thoughts of a higher nature. This means being aware of our thoughts and changing them whenever they don't serve the vision of the life we want to live and the person we are becoming. You can actually do this. Most people don't realize that they can choose their thoughts, but it's true. This is a special power that humans have. There's an infinite creative power flowing to us and through us. It's breathing us. It's causing our heart to beat right now. Every second we're alive to draw breath is because of this power. And as it flows into us, we can give it any shape we want, any form we want. 
And the first form is thought. Until we're aware that we're programmed and conditioned to think in certain ways, we may not realize that we can choose the thoughts we think. But if you study these laws, you'll realize that it's true. You have this amazing brain, and it functions like a switching station. It can jump from one frequency of thought to another lickety-split. And as you think a thought... It doesn't stay in your head, you know. It goes through your whole being like a flash of lightning. It affects your body. Your body's response to your thought is your feeling. And feeling is the conscious awareness of the vibration that we're in. Let me say that one more time. Your body's response to your thought is your feeling. And feeling is the conscious awareness of the vibration that we're in. So you might not say, I'm consciously aware of being in a low vibration today, but you would more likely say, I'm feeling kind of down today. If you don't know that you can choose your thoughts, you're unaware of the fact that you can sacrifice thoughts of a lower order or lower vibration for thoughts of a higher vibration. But indeed you can if you have the discipline. This is the vehicle of implementation for the law of sacrifice in your life. Because if you're unwilling or unable to sacrifice the lesser for the greater on the level of thought, you won't get very far in achieving your major objectives. Thought determines everything. The law of sacrifice is implemented through discipline. The desire for discipline is the beginning of wisdom. And discipline starts with disciplined thinking. I love what Bob Proctor says about discipline. He says, you only have to do something until you want to. And then when you want to, you don't have to anymore. (laughs) Think about that. So the desire for discipline is the beginning of wisdom. Proper understanding of this law can help us make quantum leaps in life. Give up the lesser in order to gain the greater. And if you keep your focus on the greater, it makes it easier to give up the lesser. Keep your eye on the prize. Here's a process that will help you develop disciplined thinking so you can powerfully implement the law of sacrifice to gain the greater in your life. Make sure to download the PDF worksheet that goes with this process. You can find the link in the show notes. There are four questions to journal on this week with regard to disciplined thinking. First question, who are the people I can surround myself with who will help stretch and expand my thinking? So many of us are surrounded by lots of people who don't think. In other words, they don't yet understand their power of thought and how they can use it to create anything that they would truly love. So start paying attention to the way people talk and the things they talk about, and you will start to see it's just a lot of programming. And people tend to take in whatever's on the news, the internet, and there's a lot of bad news these days that you don't even have to go looking for. It'll find you. You can see that out there in the world, there's not a lot of support for expansive thinking and the kind of ideas that you're learning here in the grace space. But don't let that get you down. We're all in the process of expanding our consciousness now. So who are the people you can surround yourself with who will help you stretch and expand your thinking? If you don't know any right now, stay open, because if you keep thinking this way, you will attract them. 
Second question, what are three resources I could begin accessing to improve and expand my thinking? What are three resources that you could begin to access to improve and expand your thinking? Well, for example, the gray space is one of them. Anything that helps you think in expansive ways, in creative ways, anything that sparks inspiration, imagination, and causes you to dream of a better life, those are the kind of resources I'm talking about. Third question, what are three resources I can cut out in order to protect my thinking from negative influences? That could be, you know, reading the news and uh, getting all caught up and emotionally involved in the news. When that brings you down, you have to realize that your thinking is under a negative influence. You know, most people think more carefully about what they put in their body than what they put in their mind, but the mind has to be nourished as well with positive things, with truth. The most important thing you can nourish your mind with is truth. And there, as I've been saying, there's not a whole lot of that out there in the regular media. You're not not necessarily being fed truth all the time. We're being fed a lot of fear, scarcity, consciousness, limitation, lack, competition, all kinds of things that actually are detrimental to our thinking and our spirit. So what are three resources you could cut out in order to protect your thinking from negative influences? And the fourth question is, where and when do I do my best thinking? How can I build that into my life? So maybe before you go to bed, you start thinking about the life that you would love to live. And maybe that's when you allow your imagination to run wild. Maybe it's when you're meditating. Maybe it's after a a tough yoga class when you're lying on the ground and suddenly you start imagining and dreaming and thinking positive things. So where and when do you do your best thinking? And how can you build that kind of where and when into your life in a more structured way. Encourage yourself to do good thinking, productive thinking, creative thinking in the service of what you want to create in your life, rather than simply being influenced by outside circumstances and outside influences. So those are the four questions to think about this week. Really think. Let me know how you go, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me in the Grace Space, where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.